Good afternoon. Welcome to the weekly edition of The Wrap. I'm Laura Leslie, WRL Capital Bureau Chief. And I'm Brian Anderson, WRL State Government Reporter. And I am here um, in my car, obviously, between live shots. Today was the close of filing, candidate filing. So we've been on that all day. And you know, Brian, I have never seen so many people close, uh, filing at the very close of filing. I and mean, there was actually somebody who got, got turned away because she got there just seconds too, too late and they had locked the door. I mean, just really crazy numbers of... Um, of candidates this year. It's 2022. There's a lot of things I haven't seen before that are happening. We've got dozens and dozens of candidates in, in some primaries. I think it's even eight or nine candidates deep. So it's just a huge crowded field. And we still have lots of things still in motion with the potential for U.S. Supreme Court intervention, candidate filing ending now. So we, we think we have a uh, a permanent state of being for the next two months, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Well, I talked to Karen Brinson Bell. She's the state elections director. I talked to her today about, you know, the, the Supreme Court, you know, what happens if they decide to weigh in? What happens if they uh, decide to delay the election so they can consider the, you know, the challenge or, you know, what if they go, tell, go, go back to the other maps? I don't know. Um, so she says, you know, they're pretty much ready for anything, but they're on a very, very tight timeline. So if anything gets delayed, they're probably going to have to bump the elections again to June. And um, if they decide to throw out the maps, we're going to have to go through all this all over again, candidate filing the whole shebang. So, um, so yeah, it's very much up in the air. One thing that isn't up in the air, though, of course, is the state Senate, the U.S. Senate race, because that's not a districted race. So, um, and that one, we had 14 Republicans and 11 Democrats and one Libertarian. So, um, you know, I mean, now, like several people filed the last day, but I mean, I think really the front runners are still sort of the folks that we've been talking about for a while. You've got, uh, you know, McCrory, Bud Walker. Um, you've also got this, um, a woman who's a, a political newcomer, a military veteran, um, Marjorie Eastman, that's here in the Triangle area. Um, and then on the Democratic side, nobody else, after Jeff Jackson stepped down, nobody really um, stepped up in his place. So it's Sherry Beasley. It doesn't look like she's got a serious contender within the, the field of 10. And Republicans held their first debate with one notable exception. That was U.S. Rep. Ted Budd. He did not decide to attend that debate last weekend. And that was hosted by the Carolina Journal at a conservative think tank conference held by the John Locke Foundation. ABC 11 was also live streaming that event. But the key takeaways from that were the elephant not in the room. You saw McCrory literally turn around to an empty podium and say Bud could not defend himself. That's his problem, not my problem. Other candidates weighed in. And Bud's campaign has said, we're not going to entertain the conversation of a debate until candidate filing ends. And as of noon Friday, it has ended. We know the candidates and we'll see what the next steps are for the Senate candidates from there. Right, exactly. I, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Bud dodges another debate now. <clears throat> and Sherry Beasley is pretty much the presumptive Democratic nominee because right. like you said, Jeff Jackson, he exited that race a few months ago. And now he is a congressional candidate in the new 14th district, which covers parts of Mecklenburg and Gaston County. And Jackson is, of course, a state senator who represents Mecklenburg County. So he's familiar with that area. It's a strong Democratic leaning seat that he, he sh should be fairly safe to win that one. So um, <clears throat> so this week, um, well, obviously, we had the close of candidate filing. So uh, lots of really interesting matchups um, showing up. Uh, we saw Sarah Crawford 
who is currently serving uh, in the Senate for Wake County, she's shifting down to the House. Um, and then a different Democrat who is not an incumbent is going to run for her district. Is that right? Yeah. And I think if you looked at, we've got 170 races to follow for the legislature. And I think if you had to pick the one that stood out to me, it would be Senate District 47, which is sort of in right. the western part of the state. And that covers uh, many rural communities and is a Republican stronghold. But you have Bollard versus uh, Ralph Heiss, two GOP incumbents who are going to be battling it out in that seat. And that's certainly one to, to watch for sure. They say they're friends, but you know, two months of campaigning can do wonders. Yeah, it can. Um, you know, Heiss has obviously been there much longer than Ballard. Um, and he is, you know, one of the sort of the, uh, the key members of, of leadership, you know, he's in charge of redistricting, for example, for the Senate. So um, it'll be, it'll be an interesting race to see who, who pulls that one out. And Heiss obviously named on that redistricting lawsuit, one of the GOP lawmakers who oversaw that and Ballard, a very strong education leader in the state. She tried to uh, enact, help help enact a bill last year that I know you've written about that would have sort of limited what teachers can and cannot teach in the classroom. Yeah, and that was vetoed, of course, by Governor Cooper, and they have not yet taken up a veto override on that. Although, you know, anything can happen, right? They're coming back next week and they talk, they, they're talking about possibly um, trying to do a veto override on his uh, veto of the Free the Smiles bill. That was the bill that basically said that parents could simply opt their kids out of mask requirements in schools. So who knows, if they take one up, maybe they'll take others up as well. There's a lot of vetoes parked in that veto garage for the last couple of years. So <clears throat> I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see what, what pops up on that one. Um, but then after that, I think um, I'm hearing that they're going to have a couple of days of business next week. And I think they're really looking to try to get out and adjourn this session finally at long last. Um, and because, you know, at the moment, you can't really raise money and campaign the way you want to raise money and campaign when they're in session. So it makes a lot of sense for them to try to adjourn at some point soon, since the primary is, you know, really not that far away. It, I mean, assuming it stays on May 17th, of course. Right. And I, I think the big thing to look at next week is Monday at 9.30 a.m. People are going to be hitting refresh on their Supreme Court website to try and see if there's an order that we expect to come out. And that order would either uh, approve a request from GOP lawmakers to prevent a court enacted congressional map from going forward. Or the alternative is to just let the map go forward it's only going to be used for 2022 anyway. Let the election roll on and let the process play out. Most of the pundits that I've heard talking about it seem to think that the latter is the most likely. And I kind of do too, especially given that um, John, uh, it's, it's, it's the Supreme Court Justice, Chief Justice, John, uh, give me a minute. Roberts, yeah. Thank you, Roberts. It's not Edwards. Uh, John, not that one. John Roberts is, is the guy who is, it gets those requests for this district. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. Do we have a sense though of when he's going to um, going to say anything? From the sources that I've I've been speaking with, Republicans, voting groups, the expectation is sooner rather than later. And if you go on the Supreme Court's website, they are expected to release orders 9:30 a.m. Monday the the seventh. So that's when yeah. we expect something to happen. We've seen things get pushed back and. I'm not a betting man on predicting what the US Supreme Court does and when, but that's the expectation from the folks I've, I've spoken to. Uh, one interesting thing I will note about that 
is we've written in the past about an Alabama congressional map and, and drama that reached the US Supreme Court level. And North Carolina's case is a little bit different, but in that opinion, Justice Brett Kavanaugh had wrote that we really don't want the federal court to be intervening in state elections that close to an election. And that was a while back. We're talking about a North Carolina election where candidate filing has already ended. So it would seem to be a reversal if the Supreme Court decided to intervene and strike down the congressional map. Absolutely agree. Um, in the meantime, of course, with a you know, the, the invasion of Ukraine, um, Governor Roy Cooper came out this week on Monday, I believe it was, uh, and announced that he was um, issuing a, basically a, a divest embargo um, on, on Russia. Um, all kinds of, you know, basically saying that the AB, the state should be looking at and reviewing and possibly trying to end any contracts that it can, that it has with any entities or parties that are Russian or would, Russian parties that would benefit from it. And so, for example, I think they singled out about two or three uh, vodkas. And I think you wrote a little bit about that, didn't you? Yeah, there were three Russian uh, vodka com three vodka companies with ties that could benefit Russian entities to be specific. Right. And uh, one of them was Hammer and Sickle and they put out a response saying that, you know, we have uh, some American workers here who could suffer if this order is, is really carried out and implemented. And where it will really hit North Carolinians is when you go to the ABC store looking for your alcohol and maybe can't find the drink you want. Uh, but it is, a, North Carolina has lots of alcohol and lots of brands. So if you don't see three from the shelves, maybe you might not notice. Yeah, and you know, I mean, the thing to remember here is that, this, that the stuff that was on the shelves that they've taken off the shelves, the state has already paid for that. You know, I mean, that was stuff that was in this because the state buys it from distributors. They buy it in the, where, it's in the warehouse and then it goes to the ABC stores. So um, I don't know how much of that we're holding on to, but, um, but we're going to be holding on to it for a while. He said this, this thing is going to remain in effect until, um, until there's another order, which I assume won't be until after this conflict ends. And it certainly doesn't show any signs of doing that anytime soon. And North Carolina certainly not alone on the East Coast. You've seen New Hampshire's Governor Chris Sununu take similar steps. Pennsylvania, they've done similar things with their alcohol stores. So Roy Cooper not doing something uh, alone, doing it after some other governors, Republicans and Democrats have also stepped up to try and push back on, on, uh, on Russia here. Right. Um, also this week, um, another big hearing and the Medicaid um, this is the, the committee that's looking at studying um, access to health care and Medicaid expansion, as the title of the committee is. Lots of hedges. <laughs> exactly. Lots of hedges. And, you know, it was, it, you know, the first meeting I wrote about a couple weeks ago, and that spent, it was, there were experts that spent quite a bit of time sort of debunking some of the, the reasons that lawmakers have been using for years to not expand Medicaid. Um, on that, this week's meeting was a full-on sales pitch. So there were a whole lot of people who were very much in favor of it um, and explaining why they think the state should do it now because it would be advantageous because the state would get an extra $1.7 billion back from the federal government. It's a special bonus that was included in the American Rescue Plan to sort of prompt states, the 12 states, including us, that have not yet expanded Medicaid to go ahead and do that. So lawmakers still sounded pretty skeptical at that hearing, but there were, you know, there were certainly a lot of folks explaining why it was a good idea. We'll have to see whether maybe the next meeting includes some more of the folks who don't think it's a good idea. 
And North Carolina is one of a dozen states that are, are still holdouts and one of very few with Democratic governors that are holdouts. And it's been a big policy push from Governor Cooper, a state's Democratic governor here for a while. And why are we even having these hearings? It's because it was sort of a compromise in a budget that Republicans offered the olive branch of, hey, we're going to commit to studying this next year. Please sign our budget. And Cooper at least seemed reluctant, but he he did end up pulling the trigger and giving that his signature. Yeah. Um, and they are, you know, I got to give them credit. They are actually studying it. You know, it's not it's not a complete sort of um, in name only kind of thing. Like sometimes these committees tend to be. They are actually looking at it and hearing from a lot of experts. So their next meeting on that is in just a couple of weeks. Do you think there's the votes for for Medicaid expansion at well, this point? In the Senate, there might be. I mean, you know, Senator Berger said he was he was willing to put it on the you know to, to consider that as part of the budget, um, and it's a flip flop because it used to be the House was the the chamber that might think about it, and the Senate was absolutely not, and so now it's kind of gone the other way. But you know, what we're being told is that there's a lot of political pressure on Republicans right now um, from their their you know their very conservative base about pretty much everything, and they just don't want to do anything that's going to rile up those voters. So it, you know, this is one of those things that they could take up something later on this year, but it, it seems like next year would probably be more likely to me. But and that's just that's just my best guess. Yeah, and one other thing, we have news that's constantly happening. We're recording on Friday, and early on Friday afternoon, there was a candidacy challenge to Madison Cawthorn, who uh, has been in the the ire of some moderate Republicans, certainly in the ire of lots of, of Democrats, but has strong support from Trump's base. And he was one of the speakers at the January 6th uh, Trump rally shortly before the attack on the U.S. Capitol. And a group of voters had basically said, Madison Cawthorn participated in an insurrection, shouldn't be allowed to run as a candidate for Congress. The state board said, we should have the right to at least hear this and adjudicate this under state law. And so Cawthorn appealed to a federal court basically saying, hey, State Board of Elections, you have no right to hear this. And a federal judge today sided with Cawthorn and it's a win for him. But as in, is the case in most things with North Carolina, who knows what appeals will look like. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit reluctant to put a period at the end of that sentence right now. You know, and I kind of hate to make everything judicial about politics, but honestly, I mean, you know, the judge was a, is a Donald Trump appointee. So just, just going to put that out there. Um, so, it, you know, we'll probably be seeing more of Cawthorn soon because Bo Hines, who is one of his, I guess his protege pretty much, a political newcomer, has finally settled on what congressional district he's going to run in. And of course, it's going to be the 13th, which is this brand new one that's Southern Wake County. And then it's Joko, uh, a little bit of Wayne and a little bit of Harnett. So, uh, we'll probably be seeing more of Cawthorn during the time as he comes out to campaign for, for Hines as well. Right. And Cawthorn's in the westernmost district, and he's got a lot of primary challengers from the right. You got Michelle Woodhouse. Oh, yeah, and, because he said he wasn't going to run, right? So all these people kind of came into the race. Well, t taking a look back in, in memory lane, you might remember November, there was a congressional map passed along party lines by Republicans in what was widely expected to be a special seat crafted outside of Charlotte for House Speaker Tim Moore, Madison Cawthorn said, hey, that looks like an attractive seat. It leans more to the GOP. And if I can prevent more from running, double bonus. So he ran in that. And that upset some Republicans in the westernmost part of the state. In this new map that a court approved, pretty much forced his hands back to the westernmost district because 
you can't run with Patrick McHenry in the new 10th as an incumbent, and you can't run in the new 14th where it's a fairly safe seat that Jeff Jackson's likely to win. So Cawthorn now faces lots of opponents in that primary, and it's going to be one big one to watch for sure. And the two that jump out at me are Michelle Woodhouse, who is a local Republican uh, leader there, and also Senator Chuck Edwards, State Senator Chuck Edwards, um, is actually going to run for that seat. Um, Edwards has had um, little time to waste on Madison Cawthorn uh, in the last couple of years. He's, he's spoken out against him several times. So it'll be, I think, a fiery primary out there. It'll be very, very interesting to see who takes that seat after all. And on the Democratic side, just outside the Raleigh area in the Triangle, you've got the new fourth district where you have Clay Aiken, uh, Valerie Fauci, Nita Alam, uh, Clay Aiken being a former American Idol star, the other two being local lawmakers, state and locally. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting race to sort of see, can a celebrity win? Do voters want uh, someone with a political background? <laughs> well, he lost, he ran against Renee Elmers and lost before. So he has, you know, but that was a more Republican leaning district. This one, I think the sense is Valerie Fushi is pretty clearly the, the front runner on this, although Nita Alam is likely to put up a pretty good fight. Um, and I, I think I'm also interested to watch uh, what happens in the 14th, sorry, the 13th, that's the new one, right? Because uh, you've got um, you, Wiley Nickel, who had you know, long been kind of trying to decide where he was going to run, since he's going to run in that district. And then um, kind of at the last minute, 10 o'clock this morning, uh, former Senator Sam Searcy decided to get into that race. And I mean, it was kind of a surprise to a lot of people because he kind of stepped out of politics a couple of years ago. So um, I think a lot of people were not expecting to see him reemerge. So that's, that'll be, a, a, they're, they're very, they're kind of similar personalities, but I think Searcy's probably a little bit more, more of a moderate um, it'll be very interesting to, to watch the two of them on the campaign trail, uh, trying to distinguish themselves from each other. And if, if that's going to be an intense fight, you, you ain't seen nothing yet until you look at the GOP side of that race where you have Renee Elmers. And Bo she was the first, Yeah, she's, she's the first female U.S. Congresswoman to endorse Trump back in the, the 2016 election cycle. And you also have conservative political newcomer, Bo Hines. And... Hines is a very staunch Trump ally and actually met with Trump at Mar-a-Lago in December and is trying to sort of curry favor and win an endorsement right now. So that's going to be a, another race to watch. And, uh, and there's general and elections, a toss up. There are eight in that Republican, um, in that primary for that 13th district. And I have to mention one uh, is a familiar name, Daughtry. It's the daughter of Leo Daughtry, who's a very long time um, well-respected Republican state lawmaker here in the House, served for many, many years. So he stepped down a, a few years back, but his daughter, I think, is in law practice with him, I believe, um, is going to run for that congressional seat as well. So that also will be a fantastic race. And she'll have some money on her side as well for that. You should. Uh, I think that's about all we've got. Am I forgetting anything? Check WRAL.com over this weekend. You might have an interesting story from yours truly that uh, I can't get into quite yet, but if nothing else, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian R. Anderson, and that's Brian with a Y. So stay tuned for some more fun stories ahead. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.